Welcome back to Microfamous. And yes, I listened to all three hours of his episode, so you don't have to. Now, there's a ton of fantastic nuggets. I'd still recommend it to anyone that's in podcasting. And I was surprised because we align on a lot of things, uh, Tim Ferriss, with, with what our experience from his very simple approach to gear to handling guests and prepping for episodes. And that's all awesome. And, and they're the most, I would say the bulk of the, the interview, um, the, the conversation on the podcast was about that kind of stuff. But like you, I was curious on how Tim's brilliance had been applied to growing his show. And in some areas, I was surprised, and I'll give you my overall conclusions at the end. But for now, let's just jump in. The uh, If you listen to the original episode, uh, the part where he gives his tactics is about two hours in. It's literally two hours and one minute to about two hours and four minutes in. I'm going to give it to you in the same order that he gave it, but I'm going to interject some things that we've learned from our experience of producing podcasts for coaches and consultants for the last five years. So let's jump in. So here are Tim Ferriss's top tactics for podcast growth. Tactic number one is podcast interviews, which I, I love to hear. This is when you're a guest on other podcasts. It's foundational to the microfamous system. I've learned it the hard way. It's one of the, it's, to me, it's the most effective way to grow a podcast. And Tim had some really great advice here, which was to be explicit in sending people to your podcast when you're the guest on somebody else's show. And here's what he says. If you don't, there's not an automatically a high conversion rate. It's easy to forget uh, that we have a podcast of our own to promote when we are the guest on someone else's. And so we end up plugging our book or we send someone to our website or we talk about a lead magnet. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But if your goal is to grow your podcast by giving interviews on other podcasts, then don't send people to five other things. Send them to your podcast, make it clear that that's the best way to connect with you. Now, if you're really good at getting people off of you know podcasts and into your email list, then keep doing that. Because over the long haul, I do believe an email subscriber is worth more than a podcast subscriber because an email subscriber is going to get your episodes via email. They're going to have plenty of chances to subscribe to your podcast anyway. So to me, there's two lessons here uh, in this first tactic, which is number one, don't forget to send people to your podcast when you're the guest, um, you know, in a quest to give them a bunch of different ways to connect with you. That's what most people do. Give them one or two ways to connect with you and make sure that your podcast is one of them. The second lesson I take away here is to sprinkle in mentions to your podcast naturally into the conversations you're having when you're the guest on a podcast. So people know about your show even before you get to the end where you can deliver a call to action. Because remember, not everybody's going to stick around. Now, 80% of people listen to most or all of an episode. But if you don't talk about the fact that you host a podcast until the you know 58th minute of a 60-minute episode, they may not hear that. So feel free in a very authentic and genuine non-salesy way to make sure that you mention your podcast kind of naturally sprinkled in throughout the conversation, okay? So that's the first tactic, podcast interviews. The second tactic is email and newsletters. And this one surprised me a little bit, but Tim pointed out they're only one link click away from the action you want them to take. So email is still incredibly powerful. And if you have a podcast, make sure to incorporate your podcast into your email strategy. If you know anything about Tim Ferriss, he obviously came into podcasting with a big engaged email list that he'd built up for years, which is a great advantage. Um, but all of us have an email list of some kind, and it's still one of the best ways to promote our podcast. So don't neglect that. Uh, yes, that means sending new episodes to your list, but it could also mean other tactics like adding your podcast episodes into initial follow-up sequences when people first join your email list. Maybe you record certain podcast episodes specifically for your email list or for your email follow-up system. Maybe you create special uh, short-run podcast series, right? So little series within your podcast of episodes, which can then be offered to your email list on top of your normal level of communication with your list. Meaning if they're getting a weekly communication from you anyway, hey, here's a special set of episodes that you can go get that's on this specific topic or problem that you're, you're facing. And those emails will be delivered to you on top of the normal weekly emails. 
So a couple of people that are really good at this, Andre Chaperone, uh, the digital marketer brand, both very good at it, where they offer certain email series with a specific goal or a challenge that they are designed to tackle. Uh, a lot of times, especially in Andre Chaperone's case, each email will be numbered. And there's a, a specific number of emails that people know they're getting. So they know exactly what to expect. And it comes on top of the normal communication with the email list. Now, I will interject that with all the inbox kind of filtering going on and kind of there's a, there's an algorithm being installed into our emails that are siphoning off things and sending them to, you know, social folders, promotion folders, spam and junk folders, the more authentic and personal your emails are, the better. So I don't mean send more super branded, super impersonal, pod, you know, uh, emails about your podcast to your list. That's not what I'm talking about. I love Dean Jackson and Andre Chaperone. Those are my personal email heroes. And uh, inside our agency, we've nudged our clients in the direction of super personal, less branded emails, because to me, that's the best way to avoid the spam, the junk and the social and promotions folder. So that is uh, ta tactic number two, which is the email and newsletters. The third tactic is big name guests. Now, Tim has a big caveat here, and I'm going to paraphrase it. A no-name guest with good content beats a mediocre celebrity guest every time. And I completely agree with him on that. Uh, a few years ago, we booked Grant Cardone for a client, and it was so bad, the client called me afterward and said, I don't even know if we can release that episode. It was like he was not there at all. He had so much other stuff going on mentally. Uh, it, we, it basically was a, a bust of an episode. Uh, and when we did release it, you know, we cleaned it up to the extent that we could. We still released it anyway because it's a big name and we wanted you know, to preserve the relationship with, with Cardone. Uh, and it did nothing for our client's podcast in terms of podcast downloads. So as Tim Ferriss pointed out, chasing big name guests can actually be a fool's errand. Now, obviously, Tim has big name guests on the show, and it's a big part of why we all listen. I know I, I look for bigger guests that I'm drawn to, like Derek Sivers or Seth Godin or whatever. Uh, so a big name can mean a lot of different things to different people. What's interesting about Tim is I don't feel like he has big name guests just for their own sake. Um, I don't feel like if he's, if he's not genuinely interested in, in them, I don't see him just sitting down and kind of having this cold calculation where he goes, well, I don't really care about them and I don't want to talk to them, but let's just have them on because they'll draw big numbers to the show. So the lesson that I take here from this tactic of going after big name guests is don't go after them for what they can do for you and your podcast. Invite them on because you genuinely want to connect and you genuinely want to share them with your audience. And hopefully you have something unique and compelling that you want to talk about them, you know, talk about with them to send to your audience. That's a different spin on what they can just go out and find from that, that guest somewhere else, right? I mean, otherwise, why do it? You can't just do it for yourself. And remember that the bigger audience a guest has, you know, which is a lot of reason why people want to have big name guests, odds are, unless they have some massive social media audience like Gary Vee, they're not going to be able to share your episode in such a way that draws huge numbers of their audience to you. So in five plus years of producing podcasts in the, you know, the thought leadery kind of space, we've just found that big name guests are more about giving your audience something that delights and compels them so much that they share the episode and then over the long haul, getting the show discovered through search or recommendations in podcast apps because you had a certain big name guest on your show. So there are podcasts that I have found and given a try because they interviewed somebody like a Seth Godin or a Derek Sivers that I was interested in enough to go search for their name on a podcast app and Spotify or Apple. Apple Podcasts said, hey, here are six you know, podcasts where these folks have been interviewed. And I went, great, let's listen to all of those. 
And some of them I went and went, you know, I like it. I like the show. I like the host. I like his perspective. Let me listen to some other uh, episodes of theirs and see if I might like to be a regular listener to the show. So to me, that's where a big part of the value of a big name guest comes. It's just over the long haul of people finding your show because you interviewed somebody a year or two ago who now people are searching for. So they have a place. Big name guests have their place in the overall ecosystem, but they aren't a magic silver bullet for podcast growth. So let's move on to the next one because this is it ties into the big name guest, which is paid acquisition. That's the fourth tactic that Tim mentions. And he mentions it in the context of big name guests. And he gives uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger episode of his show as an example. And he talks about the promotion. Uh, he just alludes to it, the promotion that he was able to put behind it. He didn't go into detail, but it sounds like they may have run Facebook and Instagram ads to promote that specific episode. That's not something we've experimented with, but I think it could be worth it. Um, the YouTube version of that Arnold Schwarzenegger interview also has 300,000 views. So maybe they ran some YouTube skippable in-stream ads as well. But fair warning, if you try paid acquisition or ads for podcast growth, it's going to be hard to track results. And that's for a few reasons. If you are promoting a podcast episode, people can just see the ad and open up their podcast app and go grab the episode. They don't need to click the link or, they, or open up the ad in any way to, to go basically check out the episode. So it's going to be hard to judge how effective an ad is when they don't absolutely have to go through the, the ad to even get what you're promoting. So if you're trying to measure your ad's effectiveness by link clicks, it's going to be hard. Now, if you set up your ad so it's just awareness and views and whatever, that's fine. Now, if you try to judge the effectiveness of an ad by the overall numbers of downloads of that episode compared to your others, that gets messy too, because after all, it was a big name guest, What, right? If you if you use ads to promote a big name guest episode, well, you, you could say, well, maybe that episode was going to get traction and a spike of downloads anyway. How much of that was due to the ad? It's going to be very tough to know. So paid acquisition and ads for podcasts, it's always been tricky. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Uh, if you talk about like ads specifically to boost a podcast, um, Spotify is a good example of that. I have a, a guy that I interviewed, we exchanged podcast interviews a while back, and he said he's been experimenting with Spotify ads and it costs him $5 for every new podcast subscriber. And maybe that's good now in an age where getting email opt-ins from Facebook is up in like the, you know, seven, eight, $10 range, but it's not great unless you have money to burn on experimental advertising. You know, if you look at like online product businesses and monthly membership businesses and stuff like that, it's really hard to make paid acquisition work when your lead costs are $5 or more. You know, back when leads were cheaper a few years ago, even then, you know, when leads were a buck or two bucks, Russell Brunson and the whole ClickFunnels crowd was having to do all these super complex funnels with a million upsells and cross-sells and all this stuff just to get close to breaking even on the ads. And then they had to do a lot of email follow-up after that and sell some high-end stuff, uh, services on the back end and masterminds just to actually make a profit. Now that lead costs continue to grow up, I think it's questionable whether that business model works for anyone outside like the top 5% of the internet marketing crowd. So paid acquisition for podcasting where there's almost zero opportunity to get some revenue back right away. It's just, it's tough to justify for most experts. If you want to put, you know, a few hundred bucks or a thousand bucks a month into it, just on faith that it's going to work and it's going to help. And then you see your podcast episodes uh, growing in downloads over time, then you can justify it to yourself and say, great, these ads are effective, but actually you don't really know. So that's the, uh, that's the downside with paid acquisition. Now let's move on to the last couple of tactics that Tim mentions. Uh, the second to last one is YouTube. YouTube has been very good for me. And at one point over a few years, uh, my podcast, Real Estate Uncensored, put 4,000 new email subscribers into our email list. And it was mostly from people finding our full episodes on YouTube and then going to a landing page where we had a lead magnet. 
So according to Tim, uh, YouTube can be extremely helpful, and he points to examples like Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson. However, if you know Tim's content and his journey, YouTube hasn't been a big part of his strategy. You know, if you look at the content on his YouTube channel, and if you uh, go to the article uh, on this page, you can see a couple of screenshots of what I mean. You can see that the content of his YouTube channel that comes from his podcast, not the stuff that's created specifically for YouTube, but the stuff that's pulled from his podcast, it's a mix of full episodes and clips. But, the, you know, the full episodes get a fraction of the audience of his audio podcast, and he hasn't had the success with his podcast clips as Joe Rogan has had with his podcast clips. So the whole intersection between podcasting and YouTube is like a huge topic, and I've got a lot to say on that. So there's a whole other episode. You can either go to getmicrofamous.com, and you can search for it there, or you can just pull up uh, your favorite podcast app and look for Microfamous, and there's an episode called Podcasting versus YouTube. So go check that out. Uh, it'll be linked, by the way, in the show notes here. So I don't get the impression that Tim has any special insight on how to use YouTube for podcast growth. He's just looking at other people who have uh, been able to make it work. Um, but with any platform, content that's created specifically for that platform is going to outperform anything that's repackaged from another platform. So you may be a Joe Rogan or a Jordan Peterson where you can put something out there. And because you're not creating videos specifically for YouTube, then the stuff that you do put there does well because you're already a big name. But could you grow a new channel from scratch with that strategy, even if you were the same person? I don't believe so, right? Both Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson come to YouTube with a huge existing audience in another place, and then you're able to use YouTube as an alternate way to consume content you already knew that you wanted. That's a big, big difference from growing a YouTube channel from scratch as a nobody or as a you know micro-famous expert with a small audience, and then expecting the YouTube channel to grow on the strength of content that wasn't even created for YouTube to begin with. So Creating something specific for YouTube will always beat content that's repackaged from somewhere else. The only question is, you know, if you're a huge name and you don't offer them anything else uh, created for YouTube, will they consume other stuff on YouTube of yours? Probably. Lectures, you know, podcast episodes, live speaking events, whatever. But, you know, check out someone like a Grant Cardone's channel. It's the videos created specifically for YouTube that get the most traction. And I, I bet it's the same for Gary Vee as well. So the final tactic that Tim gives is just traditional PR. And it was basically a throw in at the last minute. And basically he means any other media outside of being a guest on podcasts. And obviously Tim has had a like really fantastic, very wide ranging PR press, you know, over the years, he's been featured in blogs and magazines. He's spoken at events. He's done collaborations with BitChute and Product Hunt when books have come out. And there's a whole lot more, you know, if you want to check out stuff like that, his blog posts on book launch strategy are just absolute ninja genius level. I've never seen anything like it. It's, it's fantastic. So if you want to go the PR route, there's some really great stuff that Tim has that he's actually used in the context of launching his books that you can use in the context of promoting your podcast or really just yourself as a brand and then point people to your podcast. So traditional PR can absolutely be fantastic. Uh, we found a client of ours who is a regular guest on Fox Business, that's tied directly into more downloads for her podcast. It's also tied directly into you know Instagram growth where she has, I think, 560,000 followers. So absolutely, if you can hire someone in PR that gets you on TV regularly, <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge win. So there's stuff like that. There are big opportunities there. But I want to sum up and kind of give you the big takeaways here. So after listening to all three hours, my, one of my conclusions is there is no magic silver bullet for podcast growth. I didn't hear Tim say anything that our clients aren't already doing or that we haven't tested with our clients as the agency. 
Now, obviously, if you have a big existing audience on a platform like social media or email, that's going to give you a huge leg up, right? So Tim brought his huge blog audience and an engaged email list when he launched his podcast. So is the show unique and amazing? Absolutely. I love it. But would the show have the same level of success if Tim started his podcast as an unknown? Absolutely not. Even if the same quality of podcast, same great questions, same great guests, one of the most powerful things Tim said was that he is aware of and he tracks his metrics, but he doesn't think all that much about growth. He does the podcast because he wants to. He gets something out of it. He would do it even if it wasn't as successful. And to me, that's the best reason to host a podcast. Do it for you first. The second best reason is to serve your audience, to give them what they need, to be a servant leader to them. If you wouldn't host a podcast unless it was guaranteed to hit a certain level of success, or if you're only really podcasting to generate leads, it's just, it's not going to be enough. That, that, that motivation can't sustain you and satisfy you over the long run. It doesn't give you back enough to keep going in those times where you get a little burned out on doing interviews or you're looking at the podcast numbers going, I, it's growing, but I want it to grow faster. If you're not doing it for you first and foremost, and second, as a, as a way of serving your audience, just doing it for its own sake as a growth strategy, it just, it won't sustain you. You won't be able to hang in there for the long haul, which is why there's so many podcasts out there that have five episodes, 10 episodes, 15 episodes. The host couldn't hang in there. So to me, the best reason to start a podcast and host a podcast is to do it for yourself because you get something out of it because you want to share that you've, you've got things to share or because you want to have uh, certain types of conversations. The second best reason is to serve to serve your audience, to give them what they need, to take the stuff that's in your head that can be genuinely helpful to a group of people and get it out to them in such a way that they'll consume it. That's the second best reason to host a podcast. Anything else, if you're only doing it, if it grows, if you're only willing to do it, if it hits a certain level of success, that is probably going to lead to you burning out before you even hit that level of success. You've got to be able to get something out of it that you enjoy and be able to do it as a, a method of serving other people first and second. So those are my big takeaways. It was really interesting. So go check out the episode if you want to listen to all three hours of it. There's some really great stuff on podcast gear, interview tactics, and you know how to communicate with the guests and, and all this stuff. And uh, it's really fantastic. But to me, those are the biggest takeaways. So if you're looking to launch a podcast, obviously, that's part of what we do. So reach out, getmicrofamous.com. There's a video on the very front page about what we do for podcast production and launch strategy and all that fun stuff. If you just want to work together on your your marketing strategy, uh, you can reach out to me there as well. You can just grab a brainstorm call. We can talk about whatever you like. And, uh, and you can message me on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash getmicrofamous. So those are the best ways to reach out and connect. And of course, listen to the next episode of Microfamous. That's the best way to, uh, to get inside my brain. Because when I, when I stumble on, onto stuff like this and I can't help but share it, the first place I turn to is my podcast. And I hope it's the same for you. And if not, just understand a podcast is an amazing outlet to take the stuff that are that's trapped in your brain that you know can help other people and get it to them in a form where they can easily consume it and you can create followers and ideal clients out of that audience. And with that being said, that's it for me. We'll see you on the next episode.